0: Hey guys, this is Mike Shields, and this week on Next in Marketing, I got to talk to Bob Lord, Senior Vice President, Worldwide Ecosystems and Blockchain at IBM. Bob talked about why he thinks the clock is ticking as he implores advertisers to move faster on AI or risk further alienating digital consumers. We also talked about Bob's doubts about cookie alternatives like the Trade Desk's UID, why he's actually okay with Google's new Flock plan. Let's get started.
1: Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next
0: in Marketing, presented by AppSquire. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is Bob Lord. He's the SVP of Worldwide Ecosystems and Blockchain at IBM. Hey, Bob. How are you? Thanks for being here. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Good to reconnect. I used to um, talk to Bob all all the time in my reporting days, harass him about deals that he he would never comment on. But um, a guy that really knows the industry back from all sides, so I'm excited to talk to you, Bob. I figured we'd start with you know I'm kind of it's kind of hard not to focus on the big news of the moment. If you're in digital advertising and any if you have any role in targeting or or the way we think about audiences, what's going on with Google and identity and privacy and, and the future regulation, what's your, you know, we, we've seen a lot of this stuff coming about, but it's not like that the Google news was stunning or anything, but they, you know, their announcement that they're not going to support ad targeting in the the way they have for many years. If you were, you are an old agency person, let, let me throw that at you. What, what do you think you'd be thinking about if you were on that side of the business still? What kind of conversations are they having with clients or what's, what's this like in the world right now? Do you think?
1: Yeah, no, look, I think it's pretty profound. It's not actually surprising, but let me just, you know, Mike, I do oversee uh, the weather company and the Watson ads business for IBM, right? So I am partly in the middle of this conversation. I'm sure we'll come to that in a minute. But I was thinking, you know, you and I go back a long time um, and it's amazing. I feel like we're having the same conversation almost, you know, seven or eight years later when we were talking about programmatic back then. Yeah. The whole industry was going through a major transformation. Um, And I believe that nearly 10 years later, we're going through another transformation. Um, And this time, however, we're scrambling against the clock of the future. The debate back then was, can remnant inventory sort of get into a a model? And now we got 85% of transactions going through programmatic engines. And what's most interesting to me is where I sit with IBM and what I've learned in the last five years. I've only been at IBM for five years. There is an incredible opportunity to tackle this transformation from a different angle, meaning applying AI at scale. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But for the Google News, you know, it shouldn't really surprise anyone in the industry. They've consistently talked about what they're going to be doing. Um, So we sort of know that what they were going to do. Um, They haven't necessarily changed up much conversation around sort of this walled garden idea. Um, it, It is, I believe, an attack against uh the open web i think it's going to challenge marketers to think about alternatives but now is the moment if you actually really think about using technologies in ways that we uh haven't done before because we've been so dependent on a google or a facebook
0: so I, I want i definitely want to come back to the ai conversation but you said something interesting that it is in your view you think you think it's it's a it's an attack and that's a strong word um because Google, obviously, every company is going to do what's good for them, right? But th- yeah. I think you know they're going to frame it as well. We're not going to. We're not picking. We're, we're going to change the way we do things. We're probably not going to join any kind of cookie replacement thing, but we've got we've got something that is um, our privacy sandbox, our flock thing that is going to be just you know should be just as good or better for the web, right? So that like they're not presenting it as an attack. Like screw you guys. Obviously they wouldn't do it, but you see yeah. it as that. way in a little bit.
1: No, well, look. I think I, I am way behind Flock. What federated learning of cohort groups? I think they call it, right? Yeah. So this is not about the particular person anymore, right? It's not at the bet that cookie identifier. Yeah. But they're going to use artificial intelligence to put cohort groups together. Like we talked about this at AOL years and years ago when we used to look across email. We would put cohorts group together, and then we would have advertisers advertise against that cohort group. So this is nothing new. Other than they're going to be using. Artificial intelligence to put those cohort groups together now the question is can they actually go out of that garden that they're in the walled garden? I believe that not only should cohort groups be put together but people should be able to augment with first-party data at In their own enterprise and then actually use those cohort groups and get out of this walled garden piece So I have alternatives to actually spend my media spend so that's the difference for me this is that the for me flock is almost like a replacement of the cookie, and we have to think about this for the long term and how we use different technology, um, and I think advanced technology uh, to actually market to people to create a great value exchange between the brand and the consumer. And I can tell you what I have seen at IBM and the innovations that we have around AI, the marketing media landscape is only using this much of it, right? It's using predictive audiences. It's not using real-time optimization, right? We have a whole new suite of products that we've launched with Watson Advertising that uses real-time creative optimization, right? So you can create a better value exchange in real time. Um, so that's where I am, right? I think it's an opportunity for the industry to really think very hard uh, and, and embrace Flock. Like I, I, That is a place that we should go after together, but it shouldn't be all into one sort of cohort group. Or I should say one company.
0: One company, yeah, yeah, there's the, the, the there's the two it's like two different things. Do you like the concept of cohorts and flock and then do you like like it being Google's thing? I think those are probably like two different.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm all in on I'm all on this federated learning of cohorts. Like I think that is fantastic. But let me as a brand augment it, let me take it out, let me work with it so I can actually create a better value exchange, not let it be locked up in one one organization.
0: So it's funny cuz I think people hear cohorts and they some people automatically go back if you've been around for a while well that's like that's digital advertising like 15 years ago that's um behavioral targeting that's like sort of getting dumber and and not you know not as precise right like but you're you're not you're feeling like that um if you're thinking about it in terms of cohorts being we're going to target men on men sites and great congratulations like you're thinking it's way more don't sell that sh- that concept short
1: no, 100% not. I don't know if you've read uh, Raj Rajamarian's uh, book on uh, quantum marketing. He, he's talking about the fifth dimension of marketing, and it's because of the data assets we have now that we didn't have back then. Right? So you can actually create cohort groups with a lot more data than you ever had before, which gives you a lot more precision about who that user could potentially be, what they're interested in, and where they want to go. So it goes way beyond what we used to have in the past, right? But, but to actually, and that's why you need something like machine learning and artificial intelligence to create these cohort groups so that you can actually, there's something actionable about them. So I, what I feel really good about and, you know, think about IBM, right? We've used Watson for a very long time. It's in, in 60,000 companies somewhere. It's embedded in 60,000 companies elsewhere. But we've used it to solve really hard problems, whether that's insurance, risk profiling and then embedded in sort of what Watson does and what AI does is create these cohort groups and look for trends so that you make sure you root out bias detection um, and you actually do the right targeting right on on that kind of thing. So it's just taking that technology that's been around for a very long time, but using it in the media landscape against these data sets to create these cohorts that are going to be much more valuable to marketers. But the only reason why they're gonna be more valuable to marketers, Mike, is because they're gonna be able to augment their first party data. If you can't augment your first party data, you're not actually having a competitive advantage against your competitor. Because you should know your your cohort, your your first party data assets better than anyone else.
0: Sure, but I, I think the way it's been framed is that it's either, you're either gonna do one or the other. You're either gonna have, or everyone's gonna have their own data and they're gonna do like their things with their little silos. Or are you going to be screwed and have to use cohorts or something like that? You're, 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 and you're talking, you're talking about how they can be combined, or, or, or I don't know if Google is going to let you do that necessarily. Maybe. but. Well,
1: no, I don't know. I know, but when you when you sort of think about where Magnite's done, you know, what they're mm-hmm. talking about the open web and bringing consortiums together. Now we have talked about consortiums for a very long time, sure. But I do think that crew there is is making some progress. Um, When you talk to the Verizon Media Group and you talk to Guru Guru and where he wants to go with things, they're also um, looking to collaborate um, outside with partners. So I do think that the industry is looking outside. The IAB, you know, we're helping sit with the IAB to sort of help them set uh, standards around AI and what it means around transparency and explainability. Just a side note, a lot of the reasons why why businesses don't adopt artificial intelligence we found at IBM is because the explainability is not transparent. So they're afraid those decisions are being made and they don't know how you they're see, being made. You can't made. see
0: it, it, touch it, you don't, yeah. don't know what So we create what, a tool
1: set, like. which is called the Watson Knowledge Tool Set, which you basically open up the black box and you can look inside to see how those decisions were being made, right? So then you can roll it back. So when you get to sort of to this point where where I think you know Magnite's talking, you can sort of open up the box and see how those decisions are being made. You can then start applying uh, data to that to that cohort group and into that ecosystem.
0: Again, I'm going to come back. I promise I'm coming back to what you're okay. doing at IBM. But one more thing about this: you, you mentioned the you know the industry needing to work together. Potentially, the Google news seemed to rock the prospects. In some people's estimation, of this trade esque unique identifier plan. Are you guys supportive of it? Are you thinking about it? Do you think something like that is going to work or we don't know? I I don't know. I think it's a short-term partial fix. Um,
1: You know, I think in the long run, you still may run into the same privacy constraints uh, that you have today. So the solution alone isn't enough to replace what marketers will lose by the third-party cookies, in my opinion. And that's why I think we have to get focused on the sustainable solutions for the future, which is educating people around the value of real-time AI. And I'll call it real-time AI because it maybe distinguishes it slightly because we are doing some machine learning on programmatic, right? But it just doesn't get beyond that real-time optimization. Um, and, I, and I think that goes beyond replacing the cookie. So I think it's a good short-term gap. I'm just not sure that it will uh, get us all the way where we need to get, where we need to go.
0: Yeah. I often wonder about that. And I'm not a expert, you know, I'm not a, lawma- a lawmaker or an expert on regulation, but I, I do wonder if, if regulators scrutinize that it's like, okay, we're getting rid of cookies, but we're going to use people's email addresses. and just, and then everyone's going to get, I know they're hashed, hashed or whatever, but they're going to move around. Like that's going to, in the wrong hands or the wrong, the uh, less uh, savvy, lawmaker would freak would freak out and consumers might freak out this are hearing about that so i, I do no, wonder i think about the, that
1: the sound bites will hurt will hurt there yeah. right yeah versus versus i've opted in you know in the property i use with the weather company right We're, we have a subscription model and we have an ad model yep. uh so if you want to subscribe you know for 29 dollars a year no ad to serve to you but if you do if you don't you're opting in for me to provide you a value exchange in real time so i i'll know you know, where you are, what your behaviors are, and I'll provide you some kind of value exchange. That's okay, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's you mentioned um, part of your purview is is the weather channel and and uh, particularly weather.com, I would think is probably right in the middle of all this. It's a big, big web publisher been probably has, has tried every form of digital advertising under the sun for many years right now, like is weather.com going through the same changes as everybody else or you guys is weather.com and a good example of where ai is going to take our industry where is that yeah
1: so i you know what's so great about this property is it's a utility (laughs) yeah right everybody wants to know about weather whatever they're doing even today you know here in the northeast it's finally like 60 degrees i'm like yay right you check the weather app um and what you're doing there um so it's a really really great utility especially in really inclement weather so unlike, you know, other prop other publisher properties that I had, we had to feed content all the time. Mm-hmm. This thing is just a utility that yep. I think brings people back. So you kind of have this uh, really, really awesome data set um, that you can uh, if obviously if, if people give you the permission, you can look at developing cohort groups for around advertisers. Yep, um, And that is we don't sell any of our data. That's something that IBM uh, you know, and the weather company have never done. We haven't really sold our data to other publishers, but we are actually starting to think about how we share our tech um, and how we use, because we are using AI against that audience, whether it's our Watson ads uh, conversation uh, you know, um, powered ads, or whether it's uh, predictive audiences, or whether it's um, our accelerator product to optimize creative. So we're using AI. So some of that tech, we're actually thinking about how we actually bring that out into the ecosystem, so other publishers can use it, but not the data.
0: Okay. So I've, if I'm not mistaken, the the Watson ads you're describing are those, are those the ones that, that actually consumers can try to interact with or talk to almost in a, in a sense.
1: Yeah. No. And that that's just done really well. If you think about, it, it's a two way conversation, right? So. That was launched, I think back in 2018 or 19. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it was a conversation that the marketer could have. It was powered by Watson ads. It's kind of really just a very simple interface, right? But it allows you to have an interaction, a free interaction with the consumer in ways you did. not And recently, actually with Clorox, um, they were getting bombarded with uh, customer inquiries around COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, We implemented um, advertising conversations to provide support to consumers. And that allowed uh, Clorox to sort of test the format about engaging with consumers. Cause they had questions around, you know a lot of misinformation. They had
0: questions yeah, should, about Clorox How much should I drink how, or not? Yeah, how
1: to, right. how to actually use it, what it's appropriate for. So we actually used Watson Conversations in that way to really help the brand figure out, you know what position they needed to take in market. When supplies were gonna be ready. You know, all those kinds of things that we were all panicked about, right? You couldn't get any Clorox wipes. So when are the next shipments gonna be done? But, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a really valuable product for uh, C, especially CPG brands that want to talk to their customers directly, right? Sometimes there's middlemen in the way that yeah. don't allow them to get to the end. But that was really the start of the AI-powered products. But now we've gotten much more sophisticated, which is about this optimization in real time um, because placement's been nailed forever, Mike. But when you actually start to really optimize the creative, you can actually really challenge the amount of creative that you test. We talked about it theoretically many, many years ago, but now with AI, you can, you you know, do a three by three matrix of different creative and optimize that in many, many different ways. It just exponentially grows in the optimizations. And once you know the cohort group, we're starting to see, you know, 15, 20% lift on media dollars, because we're optimizing creative around placement.
0: Where is the industry on creative optimization in general? Cause you know, like there have been companies, D- DCOs uh, for a bunch of years where you could have lots of variations of ads that would change based on, you know, location, weather, things like that, and I think, and, or, you know, the different dealership offers and stuff locally yeah. has optimization. Are we still scratching the surface there? What we can do hundred percent. Like, it's
1: so frustrating to me. Right. And, 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 uh, we have something called Watson ads accelerator. That's mm-hmm. our product that optimizes on creative. And the great thing about it is it optimizes in real time. A lot of the old tools that you're referring to sort of had a predefined algorithm that deployed itself. And then you would actually look at that feedback, see if the blue red, blue ad ran better than the red ad. And you would get a daily report or a weekly report and then you refine that going forward, right? With with this product and what we're doing with AI, you can optimize in real time so that let's say three by three matrix that you have you know, for, for for optimization. There's nine different variations you can go times three and you sort of mix those all up. And at the end of the day, it tells you what is the most effective combination of those creative dimensions in real time. Um, and that's the difference. And that's really the power of what AI can do and yeah. around real-time optimization. So to answer your question, yes, there's a lot, but I don't think that that they've actually started to scratch the surface around how you apply artificial intelligence and 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 uh, regression testing around that?
0: Well, on the, for that example, that's that's something you're going to you out you're outsourcing now, or you're using just in, internally?
1: No, well, yes. Yeah, so we we start internally, mm-hmm. and now you know because we sell to brands and agencies directly. Um, but now I am talking to some other DSPs and SSPs about whether or not they want to start using that tech and just sort of embed it into how they go about right. it. I don't mind sharing the tech. I would just won't share the data.
0: Yeah, because that's, you know, it sort of sounds like on the surface, that's the kind of stuff you can do on Instagram and Facebook. And you're you're almost theoretically could find a way to bring it to the rest of the web. If, if that, if this takes off in the, any but, but you're not going to publisher by publisher. That's interesting.
1: No, not yet. No, we're, I started with the, you know, the open web publishers, the SSPs and the DSPs to start with, you know? That's where that's where I can get the most leverage, and and actually, there's an audience there that wants to talk about it. Um, so that's where we started.
0: Right. Okay. So coming coming back to the AI conversation, you me, you mentioned earlier how you've 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 taken efforts to open up the black box for all kinds of companies, not just advertising. How do you? Is there a way for you to besides what we just talked about with creative? Is there a way for you to do that in our business? Because I wonder if you face an inherent skepticism, or it's hard to explain this stuff. And, you know, I think we've talked about personalization for a long time and that's become mostly about retargeting. I think a lot of people's minds or, you know, getting a different sports section on your favorite site or something like, how do you, how do you open up the conversation to skeptics in the industry? If you, if you face them. No, there's skeptics
1: for sure. I mean, that's why I don't think it's been, you know, a lot of people will say I already have AI embedded in my tool set. But what they really have is they have a programmatic uh, adjudication engine, I guess I would call it, uh-huh. you know, it's really not applying intelligence in real time. Um, and I think that that's the first hurdle people have to go over. That's why I keep talking about real time optimization. Um, and that, that is the most important thing that I think that the tool set brings. And then when you really talk about sort of the amount of signals that you could be capturing, Even on your first-party data, I'm not even talking about third-party data sources. I'm talking about your first-party. If you can capture those signals, there's so many of them right now, whether it's touch, sound, device. There's so many different signals that you can start uh, capturing, uh, permission-based, of course, Mm -hmm. um, on your first-party data, that it gets too big for you to actually have a static algorithm. So it's first convincing people about what we okay. really mean by AI. So
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but they'll say, I, I imagine they're saying to you, well, yeah, I do real, real-time bidding, right? It, fig- it bids on the, um, we, we figure out who this person is and buy them I'm right, right now and boom. And you're I'm, saying, I'm, no, you're not using half the signals you could be. Like that's what we that's don't That's Right.
1: That's right. And there are many, many more signals about real-time that should be used in your decision making. Okay. So then secondarily, I think it is the explainability. People are not comfortable with machines making decisions for them, right, if they don't know the logic behind them. And I right. think that that is a fundamental principle that we all have a responsibility as tech companies to bring forward. Our technology needs to be explainable and it needs to be transparent, full stop. Yeah. And IBM put out a paper, I think three years ago at Davos, talking about the principles around AI. That is a fundamental truth that we believe in. And part of our toolkit is for our AI to be explainable um, and transparent to people. Now, the other interesting piece that I actually think is really a dynamite topic right now is um, ethical AI and what does that mean? Um, In advertising for me, I think it even just starts at the basic level. Is our advertising biased? AI can help you determine whether or not who you're targeting and how you're targeting is a biased engine. You can't do that with an algorithm. You have uh, to use AI at a cohort level. Sorry.
0: Right. So the the there's the idea of biased, like you don't want to um this has come up with, with the social networks. You don't you don't want to only show like certain housing advertisements to, you know, only certain neighborhoods or something like that. I understand that. But it's weird because inherently marketing is sort of built around putting people in buckets and biases and I, only, I want to reach these people who are minivan shoppers likely to be, and I don't want to reach these people. Like, how do you, am I thinking about it the wrong way?
1: No, no, I would suggest to you that that's the problem with marketing. So if you actually had better creative optimization, which we just talked about, you probably wouldn't have to bias your advertising based on those groups. You could actually cater your creative to those particular groups so that you weren't biased, weren't biasing your advertising and your targeting. Now, I think over time it optimizes itself out, but as a marketer, wouldn't you want to know that you're biasing one cohort group versus another? And, oh my God, I'm having not into this cohort group. Well, why is that? My message is not on right. Yeah. Right. So, so I think as a brand, you would love to know that information. Um, even if it's at a cursory level and AI can provide you with those kinds of reports. We do it all the time. To your point, right. we do it with our insurance companies, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're biasing approvals and all those kinds of things, and it comes back. It's just it's the same technology; it's just used a diff, a, against a different data set.
0: Right. So, but but you're right. Like we we kind of get hung up on educated guesses in this market. Like we we th- we think we know our, who our target is, so then we optimize towards that. When, when when machines can reveal more about who our target is or should be, I guess. Yeah, no,
1: that's the point. It makes you a better marketer. And then it makes you less dependent on walled Gardens because actually then you're using technology to your advantage. You could create think about it if you were trying to go after one cohort group you couldn't get to, you may as a marketer decide to explore some kind of partnership so you could get you could go after that. I remember this is way back when, but this was way back when in Razorfish, but I remember working for Sheridan and they wanted to ha- they wanted to share data with Ford because they knew a Sheridan a person that would, would go to a Sheridan hotel was more likely a Ford buyer, right? That was way back when. But think about those kinds of things that you could think about how you would do partnerships. You know, if you had that kind of insight, you may think about partners just differently. Now, it's gonna make your marketing job harder because you're gonna have to think a lot more creative than just taking 80% of your dollar and spending it on two wall garden properties.
0: Yeah, you Instead gotta start thinking about clean data rooms and and onboarding and sharing and stuff that you wasn't in your job description a couple of years ago, which is challenging. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. We're talking a lot about AI and, and the industry. Cause I, I remember I saw you speak recently about this and you were, you were pretty passionate about how we need to move fast. Um, so this is a two part question. How much of, of your passion for AI or, or the, the, the industry needing to move quickly on this is driven by, all the changes we keep describing with targeting and also but also, just what's hap- what you've seen during the pandemic and the way brands are shifting the way they think and, and, and their actions, like how m- which of those two drivers is driving you more right now, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot. So look, I,
1: my experience in this industry has been if you don't create excitement and you don't create energy and you don't create a sense of urgency, it doesn't move. Yeah. Sadly. All right. It's just yeah. sadly. We're I'm no, talking about similar topics to you a decade later. Okay. Yeah. It's
0: an inertia-driven industry a lot yeah. of times.
1: So the fact that Google and this conversation around consumer privacy is coming up. I think this is the moment for us to do something fundamentally different and use advanced technologies to market differently than we ever have before. Um, and that's why I'm trying to create this sense of urgency of us moving fast because it's gonna be really easy to sort of just go with Google's flow, flow, uh, whatever, right. federated uh, cohort yeah. group,
0: right? Right? Yeah. It's going to be really easy yeah, to do that. Yeah, they're big. You know, let's just keep going. Right. Totally. Past
1: a pa- a Path of least resistance, right? Uh, I got some problems over here with Google and their, you know, what they're going to be doing in consumer privacy rights, but I'll kind of get through that. And oh, by the way, I can actually get to Facebook and, you know, you, we, this is, so my, my sense of urgency and the reason why I'm I'm so focused on getting back in this industry is I think there is this window of time that we all can come together, uh, support the likes of these, you know, open web companies that are coming together and try it and test it. Like, why wouldn't you, as a brand right now, if I were a brand marketer, I'd say, you know what, I'm gonna start spending twenty percent of my funding on this open web thing.
0: If there was ever a time but, to not do the same thing you've been doing, it's now yeah. right.
1: Like, why not spend 20% of your your money there? Let's try it out. Let's see what I get out of that. Uh, I'm getting insights, right? I'm getting more insights than I ever could before. And i become a better marketer and a better better company because of it.
0: Right, you learn, you're, you're ahead of the game and the learning, you move faster, all those things.
1: And And my message, my big message, Mike, is what I've learned at IBM, I know the technology is there.
0: Yeah. What about, okay, how, you, we keep talking about the clock is sort of ticking on this. How much in your mind is is regulation looming over our head? And we mentioned it with what could come up with the trade desk. You know, you have things like the California laws and you have the way that GDPR is being enforced. I don't know that like the Biden administration is all about this right now with a lot of things going on, but are, how much are you or your, your industry cohorts worried about regulation shaking things up? Look,
1: I actually welcome the regulation. <laughs> because then we would have rules to operate around.
0: Instead of you just know, weighing it and uncertainty, figuring
1: out. The uncertainty is more problematic yeah. than having rules that we all need to operate on.
0: Because nobody wants to go all in on something that's about to get upended by our new rule.
1: And if it goes state by state here in the United States, that's, that is, oh my gosh, like how do you deal with that? Actually, it would only imply to me you need better technology state by yeah, state. right, right. But my point is I would welcome, you know, Guide, guide rails around this, uh, you know, and we've all managed around what happened in Europe. I mean, that seems to be working pretty well. We all figured out how to sort of make that work. So I, I'm not saying that's the answer for the United States, but I am saying it would be helpful to have uh universal guide rules. And I think the industry, the IB is trying to create those.
0: Now on the other side of that, we, let's say we all, you know, we do shift to a more cohort driven model and AI really gets uh, implemented is there a regulation worry there? I I, got, I don't know if regulators are going to understand that. It doesn't seem to alarm cons- consumers a whole lot. but I don't know. Like you, you know, you, you can you can make machines sound scary if you want to, right? Do, do you think that's a, that's a, is that something you guys are thinking about right now or not really?
1: No, because you know it's really not. Um, a, a, and we're actually helping sort of feed information around data rights and data privacy and data usage are two different topics, right? Right, but that's a nuance that most people don't understand, um, and because I don't sell our data, it's it's within our walled property. So I'm kind of you know very conservative. We don't we don't use our location data in certain instances. It's like it's very tight around the policies we have. Um, you know what's what's really interesting to me is sort of the the battle that's going on between Apple and Facebook. Yes, um, and I think that's going to really impact, you know, how we behave as marketers and media planners. Right? You got you got Apple on one side saying it's all about consumer choice, and then I got Facebook saying, no, no, this is all about protecting, you know, the small entrepreneur. Right. Um, and, and there's there's you know you can't really argue with the Apple argument right about sure this. So you got real- a great story yeah it's, a, it's it is it's fantastic and and quite honestly that's why i love my property the publishing part of the weather company because it's such a great utility that people get a lot of use out of it right so people will opt in for that property um i believe and actually our subscription model is actually growing um so it's it's a i think how those dynamics play out will influence uh what happens from a regulatory environment standpoint interestingly enough i don't think the government will get ahead of that i think they're going to play that out and see how consumers react and what happens there
0: how how do you think we're doing obviously apple has made um made this an issue about consumers it's a selling proposition you know we don't we don't mess around with your data that's why you trust us i I don't know how much the average consumer is you know Mm -hmm. they may be wary of data sharing in general but do you are they and they don't maybe get tired of getting chased around with certain ads but are they? as freaked out as we think they are on privacy? And do we need to rebuild a lot of trust as an industry, or is it not as bad as you might think?
1: I I don't know. You know, it's so interesting to me because, you know, I think it's generational again. I think, you know, my generation is much more concerned about this um, than I think our younger generation. Um, uh, Think about, you know, the, the adoption rate of TikTok. Right. Right, it's kind of, for me, I'm like, holy, like, really? Like, it's, you know, another foreign government owns this application and is looking at our data, and people aren't yeah, worried about it. And most people
0: don't think twice about it, the, the users. No,
1: and, mo- and some people don't even know that, you know, one property is owned by no. another big tech giant. Like, I don't, yeah, most people, people
0: don't know that Instagram is part of Facebook. Exactly. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Right, I mean,
1: like, I, I said, my kids, you're on Facebook. I'm like, no, no, I only got on Instagram. I'm right, like, no, right. you're on Facebook. And that's okay. But, <laughs> But I, I do think it's a it's a bit of a generational thing. Now I do think if it starts to backfire, you know, and and data, if you think about cyber attacks and cyber attacks really hurt people,
0: yeah,
1: like put them down, you know, um, and they can't use their devices anymore because they're sharing their data too much. Like I think that's a that gets that, real that yeah. gets real to people, right? I mean, you know, you have the power go out in Connecticut and people can't use the internet. Right, you know, they're all freaking out. So I, I think there's a bit of that. Um, but I don't know. I, it's really going to be interesting how it shakes out. That's why I'm so interested to see what happens with this battle, you know, cause it's going to be where the money talks, right. Are people still going to support, you know, the Facebook and, uh, and the advertising model there.
0: Yeah. And I still don't know if we know how it's like, how much is it really hurting? I, I can't tell how much Facebook is protesting loudly or they really think there are Ability to, to do attribution the way they have is going to be hurt as badly. I guess yeah, Facebook I, not going to be Facebook coming out of this. I don't know.
1: I, I, look, I think Facebook is a very strong property. I mean it's it's a it's a great advertising vehicle for everyone. People opt into it. I mean, obviously they've had some challenges in the last year, but the whole world's had challenges, right? So Facebook is 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 fantastic and it's a great utility for everybody. Um, I think it, it will not go away. It clearly will not go away. It was just going to make their job harder, and and that's okay too. It's just they're going to navigate around it. Um, and but I do think it's interesting the position uh, that the company's taking around yes. a small business owner. Yeah, I think was a really kind of nice, interesting uh, pivot for that. Yeah, to take, we help that we, yeah,
0: we 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 worry about the little guys. Don't you know us? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but it'll it'll be telling if brands all of a sudden are like, God, you know what? I'm not. My ROI is just a little bit, not. it's not as strong as it was. I'm going to, I'm going to rethink where I go. Um, but that's what alternatives do they have, right? That yeah. goes
1: back to our conversation. If they have an open web alternative, they'll spend the money there. Right. If they don't have an open web alternative, they're still right. going to stay there, even if their ROI is not as good.
0: Right. I want to ask you one more thing. I keep forgetting yeah. about AI and all the things you're describing in terms of how you can rethink the way things work on the open web so much of what you're describing is in dire need in, in the television world. It seems like if they're going to get cross-platform measurement right and trying to get attribution to be similar to, to the digital world, but it's such a different system of you know different devices and tools and no browsers and all that stuff. Can what you're just talking about be applied there well, do you think? Is that something you're even thinking about?
1: A hundred percent, yeah. No, you know my friend, Lindy Ocarina, right? Linda's yes. been on this took at NBC for a very long time. She's uh, a very she quiet wallflower
0: kind of person. Yeah. yeah.
1: She's, she's, she is, uh she's evolving sort of her data strategy again. Uh, she's looking at, I know she's is looking at sort of artificial intelligence tools. She and I sat on a panel together around this. Yeah. Um, and um, I do think that, yeah, absolutely. There's no question. It, it, it almost goes back to my point of, there's like going to be a whole nother data set for marketers to go after right that they haven't been able to do before. So, yeah, it applies everywhere.
0: Okay, so let's let's bring it home on this. If you can put your prediction hat on, I don't know if you can do this. If we if we're talking a lot about the open web and all these changes, if you could fast forward to a year, year and a half from now, does the open web look radically different? Do we see, you know, way less retargeting, way better personalization? Do publishers really shake up how many partners they work with and have a U- better UI focus? Is it kind of the same messy thing? Is it a, is it a logged in world versus a non-logged in world? What does the web look like in a couple of years?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, look, I think a year from now, it may not look very different, but I do think five years from now, I think you're going to have a lot more subscription-based uh, properties. I think the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have done a phenomenal job sort of blazing that path. I do think people are going to want more choice and I think you start to see that now, even on content that comes across, you know, whether it's a Netflix or a a Peacock or any of that kind of stuff, right? I think people are choosing that they want to pay for the content they want. So I think that's only going to accelerate going forward. But there is going to be another ad supported world out there. uh, That people are going to, you know, provide their data and their information um, and they're going to be entertained through advertisement. Um, I think it's incumbent upon the brands to entertain people through advertisement, not annoy them. Sure. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 there will be both. I hope that there will be, and I'm, I'm optimistic, that there will be an open web consortium to give brands choice so that they don't always have to pick a walled garden uh, to get to their uh, consumer.
0: Right. Everybody can compete for the, you know, the deals and the dollars one-on-one, but if you can work together, you can collectively sort of battle that duopoly yeah. structure.
1: And I can't remember, Mike, was it only a month ago there was a consortium, a publisher consortium that was announced with FT
0: and others? Oh, God. Um, there have been, you, there's been so many different consortiums in this industry. Yeah. It's hard to keep track, but I, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll see more of them. And I think we'll probably, yeah. we'll see more in television as well. video. Yeah. I agree. I I don't know. Anyway, we'll we'll wrap it up there. Bob, terrific conversation. Thanks so much for taking your time out today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Really enjoyed it. And good luck with the podcast series. Thank
0: you. A big thanks to my guest this week, Bob Lord, Senior Vice President of Worldwide Ecosystems and Blockchain at IBM, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.